0: Welcome to Craft. Each month, we bring you one international writer talking about one of their works for about 30 minutes. This month, Uruguayan novelist Daniel Mea talks about his novel El Hermano Mayor, winner of the Bartolome Hidalgo Award and translated as Older Brother by Megan McDowell. The novel and its events grow out of the real events surrounding the death of Daniel's brother, Alejandro. This episode begins with Daniel reading from the book in its original and in the English translation, and it contains his reflections of our slightly fuzzy connection from Montevideo on writing as catharsis and the realness of the unreal.
1: Su muerte va a caer un 9 de febrero, para siempre dos días antes de mi cumpleaños. Alejandro tendrá 31 en la madrugada de esa fecha cuya luz jamás verá, en la que de cuatro hermanos pasaremos a ser tres. His death will fall on the 9th of February, always two days before my birthday. Alejandro will be 31 years old in the early morning of that day whose light he will never see. The day will go from being four siblings to three. I, the oldest son, will be about to turn 38. That same morning, mom, 64, sitting beside me in dark glasses says, why him when he liked life so much? Why Ale when so many other people go around complaining about things all the time? On the back porch of my parents' house, while dad, 69, and Marcos, 27, are on their way to Plaza Grande to identify the body, I brew mate for the guests, the cousins, the aunts and uncles, several neighbors. Since no one sits still, I have trouble remembering the order the board should be passed around in. Mom wasn't far off the mark. You're right, I tell her. It should have been me. She huffs. She didn't mean that. But I tell her that it would have been entirely fitting, right? After all, who's the pessimist around here? I ask her. Why does everything always have to be about you? The truth is, I don't know what's got into you lately. You were better but lately I just don't know. I ask her when the last time she saw me happy was, but happy like Alejandro, I say, bursting with happiness. Every stew he ate was the best stew he'd ever had. Remember, if you rode a wave, it was the best wave of his life. Have you ever seen me completely happy? Mom looks at me for a few seconds. I can't see her eyes behind the glasses. Her hands are resting on her knees, and her foot taps a nervous rhythm. I can't think right now, she says. Because it's not easy to remember, I tell her. But when was the last time you saw Alejandro happy? I'm sure Ale was happy the last time you saw him, and the time before that, too, and the time before that. Wasn't he the happiest guy you knew? Well, yes and no. I always thought that Ale had a sadness deep inside him the life he led, no commitments. But who doesn't have that? Who isn't always a little sad deep down? Really though, you can't argue that Alejandro wasn't the best equipped for life out of all of us. Who else had those shoulders? You remember how broad his chest was? He was a lion, he was solar. I remember his hugs. I remember how he used to call me Mumsy, says Mum. Everyone remembered his hugs. Alejandro hugged everyone. He liked to wrap you in the immensity of his body. He did it to show off. He'd hug you so you'd feel his muscles. He'd hug you till you felt the bulge through through his trousers. Once, when I was four years old, I'd knelt down beside my mother's bed where she lay with the flu, and I'd started to pray for her to get well. She likes to say that it made her feel better immediately. It's one of her classic memories of me. I always liked to hear her recall that moment, even during our most difficult times. She told that story so often. Was she asking me in a way to never stop praying for her? I'd never known how to help her. She had never asked me for help. As far as I knew, she'd never asked anyone for help. She doesn't like Mate. I pass her one anyway. When she finds herself holding the gourd, she hands it back to me, gets up and goes inside without another word, pulling the sliding glass doors behind her. Well, that's the uh, piece I chose to read because it's the beginning of the book. It's the very first chapter or the very first episode. Um, And I chose it in part because it's the beginning, and I like whenever I buy a book, I always read the like the first page and probably like the first paragraph, sometimes I even read the last paragraph i I uh like writers who pay attention to beginnings and endings uh usually um, so I imagined that if I was a listener of the program, I would like to hear how the book started um and i also chose it because uh i only started writing the book when i had this first episode when when it came to me uh it's based on um on a true memory on something that happened on the day of my on the morning of my brother's death um I had been, like, six months had passed since my brother passed away. He passed away. He was struck by lightning one morning in February in a beach. Uh, It was actually still dark, like, four or five in the morning when the lightning struck. And he was sleeping in a, I don't know, I remember what you call them in English, the, the little towers where the lifeguards work he had spent the night there because the next morning there were going to be huge waves and he's a surfer and the storm just caught him by surprise apparently Um, so six months after after he died I'd been writing for those months but nothing uh, artistic let's say more like cathartical you know, like just express expressing myself and some ideas and some feelings I had that I couldn't understand and overwhelmed me. So one day, six months after the, uh, the event, I remembered that morning and I remembered that particular scene uh, with my mom. We were sitting at the back porch and she suddenly said, you know, why did, did your brother have to die when he was, you know, such a happy person when there's so many negative people around, people complaining about life all the time. And in real life, I didn't reply. I didn't say anything. Uh, but I did feel, well, oh, she's right. Like, it should have been me. I'm the I'm like the, you know, the black sheep or the negative one or the you know pessimistic one in the family uh and when i thought about it when i thought what would have happened if i had told her that if i had said what i didn't say and then i realized i had a perfect scene a perfect beginning for the book uh and i think it gave me also like the strategy for the rest of the book which was, I'm going to write a, uh, a book which um, is true, but not because I'm going to tell everything that happened, but because I'm going to tell everything that happened and everything that could have happened, everything that should have happened, everything that that people didn't say, that I didn't say I'm gonna say it in the book, so in a way, you know, and it was it was it was crazy because writing that first scene, I realized uh, in real life that I had been carrying this guilt that I wouldn't admit to myself for like these whole six months, and now that I wrote it, and now that my character, the character that represents me was able to say. What I hadn't said, it sort of started working as a, as a sort of um, reflection, you know, and it's, like everything that I hadn't confessed to myself until that time, I just now I had no other choice but to <laughs> sort of come to grips with. I think it was cathartic also but I think what I I mean maybe it was even more cathartic uh what I mean by it was only cathartic I think there only is the imperative word because it's only really cathartic in my experience at least when when you give an artistic shape what you're trying to express like expression in itself in and of itself is not enough it's formless it's like a scream or like a you know like a vomit or whatever like expressions people use to say oh yeah I love writing I just like vomit everything onto the page well good that's fine I mean maybe it has some sort of utility but it's not going to have the same the same result or the same utility as if, as when you try to put it into a certain form. I think that's what art is, right? Like giving a shape, giving a a, a beautiful, not only, not, not any sort of shape or form, like a beautiful one. I think that process of, of, of uh, making what is chaotic and formless into orderly, which is art, is what is actually is where the real catharsis resides. If there is going to be any. Sometimes people people have asked me whether um, whether I healed uh, the the wounds that my brother's death. Uh, inflicted upon me by writing this book. I can't say that there's like a complete healing of any kind. uh, But I but I can definitely say that that it did help me put my emotions and my thoughts into uh, 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 an order that I wouldn't have been able to if I hadn't written it. It, it. In a way, writing that book was evidently a way of breathing of for my brother of going through the process uh, with some sort of help you know with a sort of like going going through the darkness with some kind of a light you know there's some kind of torch there that allowed me to see a little bit more clearly um I never expected it though to to completely cure me like I, I can't really expect that much from writing I already had at some point <laughs> I think before in my life like put so many expectations on on the writing itself and just to find out that it was a little bit unfair <laughs> yeah the um the writing started from that scene from that particular scene uh, and it just started developing quite naturally at the beginning because I just had to sort of follow the events that took place in those three or four days after my brother's death, which I could remember quite clearly. Some of them had stuck in my head and many of them, as they were happening, I knew and I felt like, ooh. I'm gonna to have to write about this. like I'm gonna to have to, at some point in my life, uh, depict this thing that is happening right now, because there were, so many things happened in, in in those days, and they were so vivid, and some of them were so beautiful. I even had a conflict with that, like, am I finding beauty in this terrible moment? Like is this like the writer's mind sort of it feels almost immoral. You know what I mean to to look at things with with um, aesthetic eyes. Um, later, I, I sort of came, um, forgave myself and and took it as a as a as an inevitable uh, way of doing things. Like that, that's me. That I'm a writer, and maybe that's my way to get closer to things. While at the same time, maybe pulling back a little and getting some distance. You know what I mean? Because there is a sort of distance that is created when you start appreciating the beauty of what is going on, and everything starts to feel like a story or or meaningful um, and full of like resonance. Uh, so in a way, that was it. That was um, the easy part. Uh, when constructing the book but at one point like almost halfway through the book I found myself stuck Um, and I didn't know why and I I, it it was it was the hardest book for me to write because probably because of the subject matter and because of what the book's about and what made it come to to what made it necessary to be written but because there were so many people that i knew involved because it was mainly autobiographical much more autobiographical than, than than the rest of my books like the rest of my books are fiction with the exception of my first book which could also be called a mixture of like it has a great dose of of non autobiography my first book um I wrote when I was 19 and it's it's a it's a diary that I kept for a couple of weeks when I was in the uh, classic existential crisis of when you're entering the adult world and you don't know where to go or what to do and you're feeling uh, quite bleak and um, and then I started inventing stuff as this much more I started inventing much more than in my diary than what was actually true and I realized it worked so in a way the process was similar to this uh only now like I was touching such a sensitive subject and so many people were going to be affected by it you know what I mean so I think those things got into my head like I didn't know what whether it was right or whether it was wrong to show my parents grieving and my brother's grieving and to talk about my dead brother, uh, the way that I was talking about him. Um, so I got stuck and I went through like a couple of months where I couldn't even look at the, at the file. Like I could not even look at the text that I was writing because I felt so, so depressed. And, um, one night, I dream. I have a dream with my brother, and uh, in the dream, he says he tells me, "Remember all the things you didn't like about me," and he also said, "Remember how much fun we used to have together." So, so that sort of opened up this whole new this whole new highway and it allowed me, like he authorized me to to not make him into a hero. He authorized me to talk about how much, how competitive we were as brothers, about how there were actually things that, yes, I didn't like about him. There were moments when I didn't even want to talk to him or see him uh, and that wasn't wrong. And that was true. And that was fine. And 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 we also had fun together. He was also a very funny person. Like, if I was going to write a book about him, I was going to have to also make it funny. It, it, it wasn't fair. It wouldn't have been tr- a true book if it was only sad. You know what I mean? Like, he allowed me to also make the book about myself. Like, when he was telling me, Remember all the things you didn't like about me. He was telling me, "Do write about yourself too. Like this book should be about yourself, like not only about me. Like how can it actually be about me? You know what I mean? Like you're not me. Like how much do you think you really know me? Like the only thing you're going to be able to do is to express your point of view, your participation in and all this, and all of this. So that's when the The machine started working again and I started writing like more confidently allowing myself to enter the book and to actually compete with him for the for the main role you know because 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 he had robbed me of what was my birthright which was to die first you know as a big brother like I should have been the one so now that I'm going to write a book about you I'm going to compete with you I'm going to try to rob you of of this main role that you have in my book. Uh and I think I actually probably succeeded. And I think he's fine with it. <laughs> I, I made some decisions you know when when um, thinking about how much of the book uh, could I make into fiction how much should I should I be absolutely loyal or faithful to the tr- the real events so to speak um, it became evident quite early that I that my loyalty had to be with the with the with the work with the with the book that was being written, not with the actual facts you know of what happened. I realized soon that the facts were were not as good uh from the literary point of view or were not as true as the as the As they would become when I sort of tweaked them, you know, like that first scene, coming back again to that first scene. That scene is more true than the facts. Or it they are more it is more powerful than the actual facts. And it speaks of what really was happening. So so in a way, I I, I came to the to the conclusion from the very beginning that I had to to disregard to absolutely disregard the truthfulness um, i don't know if the word is truthfulness, but like to be accurate and precise in in remembering everything as it was um because I realized that there was like this the allowing myself to fictionalize many of the events um gave me, like, a deeper look into what was actually happening. Um, And it's not only, it's not only uh, fictional in the sense that I made some things up. Um, It's also, like, there's, like, a fictional, uh, what do you call it? Like, a fictional element in the sense that Many of the things that happened or that are portrayed in the book happened throughout a longer period of time, but I compressed them. You know, so in a way, that's also making fiction. You could be telling many different uh, episodes and scenes that are exactly 100% right and loyal to what happened, but when you compress them all, instead of in six months, you bunch them up all together in three days. Well, that's also a way of lying you know it's also a way of 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 not being faithful to reality so i i I disregarded the notion of that it had to be real or 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 accurate from the very beginning I, i i surprised myself uh being a little superstitious also in some respects like my children i have two girls uh, but in the book, there are two boys and that was kind of superstitious in a way, because I, I felt, I felt like it was like, like, like a, like a dangerous territory. You know what I mean? Cause in the, cause in the book, the narrator that represents me says that he is really afraid that his older son, his first son, his firstborn will die, uh, young, because he is also like a very happy person, like, like the brother of the character. And, and I was having those feelings for my oldest daughter at that time. And I didn't want to express them like literally, because I felt like writing. And this is I've I've been speaking to other writers, I I found out that we are very superstitious in that way, you know, that many times we think, once you write something, like it, it becomes real. Like there's a danger that it will actually seep into reality somehow. So I kind of protected myself in in that way, and maybe I tried to protect my 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 parents and my brothers and my brother's girlfriends and my girlfriends also by giving them different names. Um, the excuse was they're not actually doing what they did in real life. Like many of the things they are doing in the book, they did, but many of them, they didn't. So do they even deserve to be called by their real names? Like, isn't, I felt like maybe that's where, that's where I, I should have asked a lawyer, but uh, I, (laughs) but I'm not, like, I'm not into that sort of, like, I, I finished the book and, and I didn't, I didn't show the book to my parents or my brothers or anybody before getting it published. You know, I didn't feel I I, I needed their permission to to publish it, trusting that that um, in a way, if you're again loyal to the craft, to the work that you're creating everything's gonna turn out right, like nobody's gonna be able to complain. You know what I mean? Like there's no no other intention when writing that book than that of creating something beautiful. Um, Maybe it's a little bit superstitious too, but well, writing is superstitious.
0: Craft is brought to you by Wasafiria Magazine and Queen Mary University of London, with funding from Arts Council England. Our theme music and sound design is by Josh Winneberg. Our logo is by Alaa al Tom Wilson does our editing. Interviews and the introduction are by me, Malachi McIntosh. And Afsana Nishat does everything else. See you next month.